One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, my name is Tom Daly, host of American Biography, and your host today for the very first episode of The Exchange. The Exchange is an original Agora Podcast Network show, where over time, you will hopefully not only get to know the different shows that make up Agora, but also get to know the podcasters a little better as well. This episode, we are here to talk about when diplomacy fails and are lucky enough to be joined by its creator, and host, Zach Twomley. But before we bring Zach in to talk, I'd like to first introduce When Diplomacy Fails. When Diplomacy Fails was not the first podcast I ever listened to. However, the more shows I did check out, and the deeper into the history podcasting Facebook communities I got, the more frequently the name Zach Twomley and his podcast, When Diplomacy Fails, came up. Again and again, whenever it seemed someone asked for a new podcast recommendation, or if anyone had covered this or that conflict, it seemed inevitable that Zach and When Diplomacy Fails would be suggested. When Diplomacy Fails debuted way back in 2012, with the goal of covering the build-up to, the breakout of, and the consequences of various conflicts throughout history. Since then, topics as far afield as the Second Punic War the Spanish-American War, the Franco-Prussian War, and many more conflicts have received Zach's own particular brand of case study. After three years and over a million downloads, When Diplomacy Fails has changed and grown along with Zach. At the start of the show, he was a mere undergrad student. Though listening to him, one would hardly have guessed it. Well-researched narratives delivered with a special mix of confidence, humility, humor, and a lyrical Irish accent have always defined the When Diplomacy Fails experience. Initially, the show attempted to cover conflicts with solitary, standalone episodes, often paired with a supplementary, free-ranging discussion episode. These talk episodes allowed for deeper dives into the material, or for the exploration of historical tangents. These episodes are more relaxed than the main narrative, but no less entertaining, and they invite you to loosen your tie and take a seat and just talk history like you were sitting on a friend's living room couch. 
As time passed, and Zach fully came into his own as a podcaster, the topics he chose to take on grew in complexity, and the breadth and depth of his analysis and research correspondingly grew to tackle them. This trend possibly reached its fullest expression in his 18-part Thirty Years' War special and his exhaustive 29-part July Crisis special, which he released, back-to-back of course, in 2014. Zach's charming use of acronyms such as his famous BFIT, standing for blog, email, Facebook, iTunes, and tell anyone or anything, lets listeners know the best way that they can follow and support the show. While his much-loved catchphrases such as continuing the trend of shameless self-promotion and thanks have earned him a place in the hearts of his history friends and a place on their MP3 players. More than that, Zach has safely ensconced himself as one of the premier history podcasters active today, and his five-star iTunes ratings from over 227 reviewers is a testament to that. So now, without any further ado, I'm pleased to welcome the host of When Diplomacy Fails, Mr. Zach Twomley. Hey, Thomas. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, Zach. Want to say hi to the folks at home? I would love to. Thank you so much to uh, all my dearest listeners for uh, sticking with me and having patience with me as I start this new special, because I understand it's not that easy to uh, face the prospect of going back to the First World War again, but uh, <laughs> I promise I promise, I will make it worth your while. So thanks. Yeah, um, and, and we brought you here today, uh, twofold purpose. One is to introduce our, our shiny new network, Agora. Uh, and, and also, we wanted to let you talk about this insanely ambitious 10-section special on Britain during key, a key part of its empire. Um, you're calling it Britain Goes to War. Yep. And why don't you tell everybody a little bit about this? Okay, well, like, Britain Goes to War is, I suppose, it's basically a window into the British Empire from 1897 to 1914. And that era of history is kind of, people know of it, they they know it kind of well, they know of the key events that happened during it, but what I really learned when I had to, when I had to investigate it for my dissertation, which I'll talk about in a sec, what I really learned when I was doing that was just how important all those things that happen in that space of 17 years is for the First World War itself, but it also tells you a lot about British society itself and really how completely unlike Britain it was to go to war in 1914 in comparison to its previous like behavior and foreign policy. So in that kind of rambling way, I suppose suppose my, my main reason for doing it is because I'm still still massively interested in the actual era itself. And I also feel like it throws up a load of really interesting anecdotes and loads of really fun kind of fun kind of issues and stories about foreign policy and diplomacy that my listeners still will love, despite the fact that we're still in the same era. <laughs> but I also feel like there's a lot of mileage in this era that we haven't really looked at yet. So I do think it's worth going back to it. So that's why we're still sticking with it for the Mo. Right. Um, and it is an incredibly interesting topic. Um, I mean, you you did uh, a great special on the July crisis that was very well received. And you also did a, a very extensive coverage of World War One. Um, mm. and previously so obviously this is kind of the gift that just keeps on giving it really is yeah <laughs> what is it about it that is gonna give you 10 more episodes you think 
Well, it's funny you should mention 10 episodes, because you see 10 episodes sounds somewhat reasonable, but this is actually 10 sections, and within those 10 sections there are individual parts, and within those parts there are chapters. So when I say an insanely ambitious 10-section special, what I actually mean is it's very hard to put a number on the exact amount of episodes that are going to come from this, but the reason why I'm revisiting it is because I feel like through every kind of if you would like historians uh, tenure in like his time in publishing, whether he's doing books or podcasting or what have you, there's going to come a time when he says to himself, okay, I'm really, really, really interested in this particular thing, but I'm not really sure how it's going to be received. So I feel like if I don't do it now, then maybe I won't do it in the future. So what the heck, I'll just do it now and see how it goes. So that's basically what I'm doing here. I said in the uh, introduction episodes that uh, this was basically my podcast book in terms of, like, it's everything that I wanted to do since I really started to get, like, somewhat interested in history or history podcasting or that kind of thing. I always knew that there was a lot of things here that I could cover in time, but in my previous podcasts, because they looked at it from a different angle, I never really got to properly draw everything out of it, despite the fact that I visited the era twice. So, I hope that makes sense. It does. It certainly does. And it is... The era is sort of this Easter egg that just, you know, so much, so much ink has been spilled talking about it and analyzing it. And so many memoirs from the people who lived it, um, they recorded their experiences. So it must be a rich field for you to draw, draw from. And a question that's going to come along with that is how much work is going into this project? Well, in in a few weeks or months or so, it'll be easier to tell this because I may have cheated a little bit along the way because I have quite a big backlog of stuff. Uh, I have a good amount of work already done for this project, mainly because I fin- when during time doing my dissertation and then after the dissertation itself, I was taking notes and I was writing like drafts of scripts because I knew I was going to go back to it. It was only when I realized exactly how much I was going to really do that I thought, okay, I'll put these scripts into a logical order and that kind of thing. But the long and short of it is that I have about 20 scripts or so on the back burner and that I'll be able to access them and record them. So at the moment, there's a lot of recording to be done, which is why my voice might sound somewhat, somewhat hoarse or like a little bit strained, but it's good. I don't, I don't really mind it. Um, It's really in the future when I have loads of more scripts to do, even though I know the kind of logical flow that the, that the course of the narrative is going to go on. It'll be more of a challenge writing everything in time, but Sure, that will just be going back to the way the podcast always used to be before I was so well prepared anyway, so (laughs) it should be fine. Um, But yeah, a lot of work Um, between the script writing and the recording and the editing. It's more the fact making all the contingent parts of it flow into a logical narrative, which I suppose is the struggle every podcaster faces. but this is even more so because there's even more of it and it's even more ambitious than anything I've done before. I mean, it's certainly quite a big project. I was wondering, what part are you most excited for covering? I suppose there's two major ones that I'm really excited for. I'm really excited for giving you a different perspective of the way Britain does its foreign policy and the way it looks like the way it looks at Russia in particular. So, in other words, like Germany was not the big boogeyman of the early 1910s. It was mainly Russia that Britain was so afraid of, and I want to really make that clear and show examples as to why that was the case. 
And I suppose going into that, I want to give a new perspective on wars that I've already covered, like the Russo-Japanese War and the Boer War and that kind of thing, in more detail and with different angles that I think are definitely warranted. And I suppose the second major part that I'm really excited for is when you get to the House of Commons debates, well, basically when the British Parliament was debating whether or not they should go to war, um, I find those debates that the British politicians had really, really interesting because it's not really heard of. On August the 3rd, 1914, there was a very, very large amount of British politicians that did not believe Britain should go into war. Of course, the next day, Britain did declare, well, it uh, it gave an ultimatum to Germany and then declared war. But for all intents and purposes, August the 4th is the day that Britain declares war. So on August the 3rd, it's kind of interesting to see the way these politicians think and how their thought processes lead them to declare war. And in many cases, um, to the uh, the ways that the British politicians debate, it's essentially a lambasting of the whole idea or the whole notion that Britain should go to war at all. So what I love about that is that I can give my listeners a unique perspective because no one's ever recorded or like written down these uh, House of Commons debates and put them into a podcast, even though they're so, so rich. And some of them are actually quite hilarious, the things that the politicians say, despite the danger that's staring them in the face. So yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to that kind of thing. And I think it's kind of keeping me going, um, even if it does get a bit tedious at times. Like, I'm really not looking forward to looking at, like, naval technologies, for example, as anyone who knows me knows that I'm not. <laughs> but uh, it should uh, it should be worth it in the end, I think. Well, I know I, for one, am really looking forward to it, and I'm sure many of your voluminous number of listeners are also looking forward to it. But I was wondering if maybe we could take a step back at this point and talk more about when diplomacy fails okay, you know, sure. in, in general, and a little bit about Zach Twomley. Huh. Um, so I guess to start with, how did you get into podcasting? Well, um, I guess I couldn't really go go any further without mentioning Mike Duncan, who's history of Rome fame and everything else and their revolutions, but um, I also have to mention David Crowther of the History of England, because after I went through the History of Rome, and in fact during the time I was doing it, I think when I started listening to the History of England, not just because he was English, so he was closer to home than America, and kind of like the perspective is that Americans seem to do everything, so you can't possibly do it. But the fact that a, a normal English guy was doing a, an English podcast, it seemed to me more make it more kind of possible that the market was more open. Um, and that wasn't by any means because he was less professional or, or less enjoyable as a podcast. It was, in fact, I found it more enjoyable than Mike Duncan's efforts, simply because the guy who was doing it seemed kind of more like me in a way if that makes sense. But uh, yeah, I suppose I got into it because those people made made it seem doable. And I've always had an interest in teaching history. I've always had an interest in history, obviously. But the thing that I get real joy out of is kind of sharing that interest with others and not just teaching them about it, but making it seem interesting where they may not have thought it was interesting at, at the start. Like a lot of the projects I've done, like the 30 Years War or the... Uh, What's another example? Oh, some of those really obscure uh, 18th century wars, like the Polish War of Succession. No mm-hmm. one's ever heard of that. But the fact that you can make it interesting to people, I find really, really rewarding and really, really satisfying. And especially if you can relate it to later on events in history and connect them all together, the whole process of joining the dots and making those dots seem interesting and, and drawing people in, I think, is really why I started podcasting. Very good. 
So when diplomacy fails, by no means shies away from hot wars. But that's not the heart of your podcast. You come at these conflicts from a relatively unique angle. So what drew you to focus on the breakdown of the diplomatic process? And are there lessons people can take away from studying these sorts of breakdowns? Oh, that's a very uh, good question. Actually, I think the reason why When Diplomacy Fails looks at When Diplomacy Fails, it's not just the name, obviously, but I basically was very selfish with the way that I made the podcast. I didn't want to look at something from a technological point of view or anything like that because I don't find it very interesting. What I really wanted to do was do these, like, you're not going to continue a podcast unless you find it interesting. So if I could treat these individual episodes as mini projects for myself, because I always learn something from them. It's not like when I was going into the war at the Polish succession to go back to that, that I actually knew what happened. I thought it sounded cool. So I looked into it and it's almost like that war is my listeners going along on the journey of discovery with me. And I don't think you could find kind of experiences like those if you were to take a more nuanced approach or like a, a more kind of narrow focus such as like a narrative of of a certain country for a certain length of time now those podcasts are great but what i loved about when diplomacy fails is angle that i eventually was able to develop properly was that i can jump all over the world and all over the timelines of wherever i want because as far as i'm concerned i'm making the podcast so i can do whatever i want but it's more than that really it's kind of if you if you are making something that you know you're going to be spending a lot of time on, it has to always be able to draw you in. It's not enough to just make the listener interested in we- as well. So if you're going to be looking at something you're, you're really interested in, mine would be diplomacy and why it fails and why wars happened. That was always more interesting to me than this army moved to here. Or- Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hey dave yeah randy since we founded bombas we've always said our socks underwear and t-shirts are super soft any new ideas maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy wait what i got it bombas absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness because one purchased equals one donated wow did we just write an ad yes Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Or that guy beat up that guy or that kind of thing. So I decided to just make that the focus of the podcast. Now, I didn't think that other people would find it as interesting as I did, 
but I thought, well, maybe if they like diplomacy a little bit, but they prefer wars, they'll kind of be satisfied either way. But now I discovered that there's a whole army of people just like me who only really care about why wars happen rather than the actual war itself. So I'm delighted. As we all are. (laughs) So I'm wondering, you've covered a lot of different topics. What's the favorite topic that you've covered thus far? Um... The favorite podcast of all time. I I really, really enjoyed doing the July Crisis Project. I mean, at the time, I was stressed to bits, but after it happened, I was able to really look at it as my kind of podcasting thesis, if you like, and that's what I referred to it at the time. And it was funny because when I was doing the very first introduction episode for it, and I had all the stylish music and all that stuff... Even in that episode, the very first one, I had absolutely no idea what I was getting myself into. And I remember in the middle of the month of July thinking to myself, like, there's no way, Zach, you're not going to be able to get all this done. Like, how are you possibly going to cover all these angles and do all this? And I remember, like, thinking, oh, if only I could, like, fast forward to when all this was finished and I wouldn't even have to think about it anymore. And then once I, in in that talk episode that I did with Sean to round it all off, um, once once I'd done that... I remember thinking while I was talking to Sean, I'm so glad I've finished this. I'm never going to have to go back to it. But the fact that I did it then, I think, made me more interested in the era. And I never looked at the First World War the same way afterwards. So even just because of that, not just the fact that it's looked on very favorably, which, of course, I'm very grateful for. And my listeners really kind of seem to stick to stick to that special as the kind of when diplomacy fails is, I suppose. Trademark, really. Yeah, I think so. I think that's the best way to put it because it's it's the best example of the way the when diplomacy fails as formula works is when it's applied in such a a sweeping kind of style as as it was in that project. But um, after that project had been done, all I cared about was books that looked at the July crisis. So even though I was like, oh, I'm really glad to be finished that special and I never want to have to look at it again, my brain was still stuck in the July crisis and it was so much stuck in it that I ended up doing my master's on the July crisis. And I knew even when I was starting the master's, oh, I'll have to do my dissertation on something to do with the July crisis. And it wasn't just because I'd done so much legwork on it already. It was because I was still genuinely interested in it. And I think that's what's led to me continuing that uh, that whole kind of theme with that era and torturing people with yet more stuff on the first world war <laughs> uh you mentioned sean a couple times in your answer there um you know a fan favorite of when diplomacy fails are the talk episodes that feature both you and sean so mm. i guess we were kind of wondering uh, does sean play any additional behind the role scene in when diplomacy fails or is he just the robin to your batman when you're decompressing um, I think he's like loads of different things. It's kind of hard to really quantify what Sean does. He, I, he's constantly having his ears filled about what I'm doing next. He's constantly being told whenever I get a donation. He's told about mean emails, nice emails, mean reviews, nice reviews. He's told about when we have to do a next talk episode. He's roped in for the latest one that we didn't think we were going to do but are doing anyway. And then when we're not doing that, he's playing Civ with me and we're deciding how to next take over the world together. So he's kind of like, he's kind of like a jack of all trades man, but very much uh, stuck in his role as basically <laughs> giving over his free time to me and uh, kind of joining in on the podcast whenever I feel like his voice is, is warranted. And a lot of the time, some of those talk episodes 
were literally a result of him asking what the podcast was and then saying, oh, why don't we do a talk episode on it? And I was like, oh, okay, okay, let's do that then. Because the great thing about the talk episodes is that you don't have to write up a script, which I know for yourself or for anyone else who has to read from a script, it's not just a case of like, oh, I'm going to do a podcast now. All the research and writing that goes behind it, the actual episode itself, what the listeners hear is in fact the end result of all the work that we've put into it. So all the legwork has been done before, whereas with a talk episode, you can simply launch into it. And yes, you'll have to know what you're talking about, but there's no script. There's only a few notes. In some cases, there's no notes. Um, <laughs> and uh, a lot of the time, it just works because if you have the right person to bounce stuff off and they ask the right questions and they they say the right things at the right times, and if not, sure, they can just be edited into sound better. Um it all works really well. So the reason why I love them as well is because it's it's a more casual, kind of casual uh, approach to when diplomacy fails. Like I never wanted when diplomacy fails to be a cult, like a, a dry, boring, uh, stale way to look at history. I didn't want it to sound like a lecture or a monotone like delivery of me talking about history because I don't feel like that's what history should be. History should be you and your friend uh, shooting the breeze on some war that happened a while ago and how this was ridiculous and how this could have been like, uh, pulled off by this guy and why wasn't he found out and that kind of thing. And I often find that Sean asks the questions that I didn't think to ask or he asks the questions that listeners wanted asked in the first place. So things like that, it's kind of... it's While it might be hard to describe Sean's job description, um, I, I already know that his 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 benefits that he gives to the podcast and his value to the podcast are monumental <laughs> so well that was a, that's yeah. a very nice uh summation of your friend there i hope he gets a chance mm. to listen to that ah yeah i'll make sure he does you see because i make him listen to everything that went up his does, so <laughs> so um you recently um got your masters yes i did do you want to tell the folks a little bit about that I'd love to, yeah. Um, if you've been keeping up with the feeds, which I hope you all have, there has been a recent release of a six-part dissertation mini-series. Um, now that was my end. That was my end result. Like I'd been doing the masters from September two thousand and fourteen to essentially July two thousand and fifteen, and I only really done the dissertation in the last three or four months of that masters itself, but. I had a few different subjects in it, and then the the bleh, the dissertation was the kind of final final work, I suppose, to kind of round the whole thing off. But then again, it was also the most important. So I looked at the Code of Honor, and I wanted to approach the July Crisis, because apparently I just cannot let it go. So I looked at the July Crisis, but obviously you can't just look at why war happened. You have to look at it from a different angle. I only had... How much words do I have to play with? I only had 15,000 words to play with, so I couldn't go all over the shop. I had to have a more kind of detailed or narrow focus that was still able to make use of the research I'd done in the area. So uh, my supervisor, um, thankfully, was able to recommend a different approach. And initially, when he said the Code of Honor, my first thought was, well, like, what do knights have to do with the whole thing kind of thing? I, I I didn't have any concept of the idea that there would be, like, an underlying an underlying code of of anything at all that would have contributed to the First World War breaking out. But the more I looked into it, the more I started to realize that that was the case and that, no, the Code of Honor didn't, like, make the war happen, but it certainly didn't make resolving any of its issues easier 
to the point that when war was about to break out, everyone says that no one felt able to back down and that they were all acting defensively. And you might wonder, well, if they were not defending the security of their borders, what were they defending? And I think the real answer is they were defending their sense of honor. Most of the people at the time felt that they had been slighted in some sort of way. And the whole idea of being slighted, I mean, you might think it matters not very much, but when your prestige or your personal prestige or the prestige of your country is threatened, that's all part of the code of honor. And I think understanding that's so important and doing my master's really got me it gave me the opportunity to kind of explore that, and I'm really, really grateful for it. And ever since then, I haven't really been look at, I haven't really been able to look at the First World War in the same way. So, really grateful for that. Yeah, um, the idea of of honor is an interesting one. You know, a, a cynic could say, well, it's a convenient excuse uh, for going mm, to war. Yeah. Um, you know, but it certainly, on any level, seems like it's an enabler. Yeah, I agree. Are there any modern nations today that you feel are, are utilizing honor as an excuse or is the true motivation behind some of their actions on the international stage? Ooh, I can possibly. tip my hat and, and I would say I feel that Russia yeah. is one that's very, uh, very active in, in either you know, using honor as an excuse or is there true underlying motivation? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I like the way you injected a possibly controversial question into the interview. That's it's very, very good of you. We don't have to do it. I, it just came to me. <laughs> ah, no, it's it's oh, no, it's good. It's good to have because I like the way like the, the code of honor is not gone. The, and just like within the code of honor itself, you have loads of underlying things like prestige and morality and the the idea that someone's reputation or standing in the international system could said to have dropped and a lot of that, yeah, is to do with Russia, but it's even to do with less kind of obvious things, such as someone's someone's ability to influence others based on what they've done. For example, I was looking at a case before where China's human rights record is deplorable, and yet it's able to lecture uh, other countries on the UN Commission for Human Rights. Now, why is it able to do that? Well, for a while, it wasn't able to do that because its human rights record was said to be so bad. Now, they have made changes and supposedly they've improved their human rights record. But before they did that, they were under pressure to do so because it was supposed that you cannot lecture others on how to uh, run the affairs of their state. In other words, you can't influence others if your own moral record is said to be low. And like that comes into people's perception of you, which is another part of honor. So while it's the code of honor is really hard to quantify, it's also very easy to apply because of that. And because of its vagueness, I think it's always going to be it's always going to be something people can point to and say, oh, he's just doing that out of his own honor or oh, his honor has been slighted. So he's doing that. So I think the possibilities for applying it nowadays aren't harder to do. They're almost easier to do. And in many ways, I can't really see any way to, to not apply them to today. Well, we exist on a continuum with the past, don't we? Yes, indeed. Indeed we do. <laughs> All right. So, I guess to wrap up, what's on the horizon for when diplomacy fails? Well, um, I must mention the fact that uh, I recently got a few unhappy people saying, how could you do... Well, not how could you do. They weren't that dramatic, but... Why would you go back to the First World War and that kind of stuff? Because we've all heard enough of it, which I understand. So 
A lot of them were worried that I'd given up on the post-Westphalian era, so from 1648 onwards, and they really enjoyed that. And yeah, I understand that, so I just wanted to make it clear that I am by no means abandoning the whole era of Louis XIV and the English Civil War and that kind of thing. In fact, if anything, I'm going to be going back to them with a vengeance. But first, (laughs) I'll have to get Britain Goes to War out of the way, which I will do. So I'm looking forward to doing that first. And we're all looking forward to it. I, for one, um, to put in my two cents, mm-hmm. can't wait for the day you get to the American Civil War. <laughs> and hopefully somewhere down the road, maybe there's a plan for that. <laughs> oh, there's definitely a plan, but uh, I'll be sure to insulate my house and my uh, airways before I do so because I'm more than aware of the... Uh, the possible possibilities for uh, offending others or not offending others. You guys take your civil war very seriously, so I have to be able to respect that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some people are still a little sensitive about it, that's mm-hmm. for sure. But, Zach, I wanted to thank you for coming by. I know you're real busy, um, and I don't want to detain you any longer. <laughs> well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Thomas, and uh, thanks very much for having me. And I hope that the two of us and... The other parts of the uh, shiny new podcast network, Agora, will be able to band together in the future like this because it's fun. And I really like the idea that, like, we're just two average guys, but we're doing a lot of work to kind of get the science of history, I suppose, more forward. But not just in a really serious, boring academic way, but in a kind of more accessible way. So I think things like this are really important. I agree completely. Before we go, Zach, do you want to give yourself a plug? I'd love to give myself a plug. Um, if I'm always, uh, I'm always open to any any chance to give out some tireless self promotion. And uh, if you if you would like to follow when diplomacy fails, then I would encourage you all to be fit. <laughs> Fantastic! So happy you did that. Yeah, I know. I kind of had to. I felt like I really had to. So uh, if you'd like to visit the blog, dodiofpodcast.blogspot.ie, uh, where you can find out up-to-date information about the podcast and see some accompanying photographs to go with the episodes etc the email address is wdfpodcast.hotmail.com if you have a question to ask me directly that you don't want to do on the facebook page which is f so the facebook page is when diplomacy fails podcast is not that hard to find um i is for itunes just search when diplomacy fails and give us a good review rate review and subscribe us positively please Everything helps the algorithm and makes us look better than we actually are, so thank you very much. Um, and then T is to tell anyone anything at all. Uh, t- it used to be tell a friend, then it was tell anyone, now it's tell anything. Um, as it's gone on, we've gotten more and more <laughs> desperate, but things like these really, really help to get the word out. I was also encourage, uh, I would also encourage you uh, listeners to keep going with Keep going with Britain Goes to War, even if you feel like you don't really want to, because it makes me happy. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, again, Zach, thank you so much. And do you want to sign off for us? <laughs> I know what you want from me here. Um, yeah, I would love to. Uh, so my name is Zach Twomley, and you've been listening to, uh, well, Agora with uh, Zach Twomley and Thomas Daly. Thanks very much for listening. Perfect. (laughs) Very good. Okay, great. Well, folks, thank you so much for listening today. Please be sure to check out When Diplomacy Fails. 
Again, I'm Tom Daly for Agora's The Exchange. You can find my show on Facebook or follow me on Twitter at American underscore bio. Or check out my website, AmericanBiography.webs.com. So I'll be signing off now, but until next time, make sure you check out some of the other great shows that make up the Agora Podcast Network. Thanks again for joining me, and I hope to talk to you soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.